Part 8. Derketo. From Derketo to Semiramis, I saw three generations of daughters. Derketo was a tall, powerful woman. I saw her clothed in skins with numerous straps and animals' tails hanging about her. Her head was covered by a cap made of the feathers of birds. I saw her with a great train of followers, male and female, sallying forth from the neighborhood of Babylon. She was constantly in vision or engaged in prophesying, offering sacrifice, founding cities, or roving about. She and her followers drove before them scattered tribes with their herds, prophesied on the subject of good dwelling places, piled up stones, some of which were immense, offered sacrifice, and practiced all kinds of wickedness. She drew all to herself. She was sometimes here, sometimes there. She was everywhere honored. She had in her old age a daughter who played a part similar to her own. I saw this vision in a plain by which was signified the origin of the abomination. Lastly, I saw Taketo as a frightful old woman in a city by the sea. She was again carrying on her sorcery by the seashore. She was in a state of diabolical ecstasy, and she was proclaiming to her people that she must die for them, give her life for them. She told them that she could remain with them no longer, but that she would be transformed into a fish, and as such be always near them. She gave directions for the worship to be paid her, and, in presence of the assembled multitude, plunged into the sea. Soon after, a fish arose above the waves, and the people saluted it with sacrifices and abominations of all kinds. Their divinations were full of mysteries, signs, etc., connected with water. Through Dekurto's instrumentality, an entire system of idolatry arose. After Dekato, I saw another woman, the daughter of Dekato. She appeared to me on a low mountain, which signified that her position was more powerful than that of her mother. This was still in Nemrod's time, for they belonged to the same age. I saw this daughter leading a life even wilder and more violent than her mother's had been. She was engaged most of her time in hunting, attended by crowds of followers. She often went to a distance of 300 miles, pursued wild animals, offered sacrifice, practiced witchcraft, and prophesied. In this way, numerous places were founded and idolatrous worship established. I saw this woman fall into the sea while struggling with a hippopotamus. Her daughter, Semiramis, I saw upon a lofty mountain, surrounded by all the kingdoms and treasures of the world, as if Satan were showing them to her, giving them to her. I saw that Semiramis put the finishing touch to every abomination of the Babylonian race. In the earliest times, power over others was held more peaceably and was vested in many. Later on, unlimited jurisdiction was possessed by single individuals. These latter then became the leaders, the gods of their followers. They formulated various systems of idolatrous worship, each according to his own ideas. They could also perform wonders of skill, valor, and invention, for they were full of the spirit of darkness. 
Thence arose whole tribes, first rulers and priests combined, later of priests alone. I have seen that in those days, women of this stamp were more numerous than men. They were all in interior communication, connected with one another by feelings, thoughts, and influence. Many things narrated of them are imperfect recitals of their ecstatic or mesmeric expressions relative to themselves, their origin, their doings uttered sometimes by themselves, at others by their devilish clairvoyance. The Jews also had many secret arts in Egypt, but Moses, the seer of God, rooted them out. Among the rabbis, however, many such things existed as points of learning. Later on, these secret arts became low, vulgar practices among wandering tribes, and they still exist in witchcraft and superstition. But they have all sprung from the same tree of corruption, from the same low kingdom of darkness. I see the visions of all that engage in such practices either just above or entirely under the earth. There is an element of the same in magnetism. Water was held specially sacred by those early idolaters. It entered into all their service. Whether divinations or ecstasies, they always began by gazing into water. They had ponds consecrated to that purpose. After some time, their ecstatic state became habitual, and even without the aid of water, they had their evil visions. I have seen the way in which they had those visions, and it was indeed singular. The whole earth, with all that it contains, seemed to be once more under water, but veiled as in a dark sphere. Tree stood under tree, mountain under mountain, water under water. I saw that those entrances beheld all that was going on, wars, nations, perils, etc., just as is done at the present day, only with this difference that the former put what they saw into effect, made good what they saw. Here is a nation to be subdued, here one to be taken by surprise, there a city to be built. Here were famous men and women, and there was the plan by which they might be outwitted. In fine, every item of their diabolical worship was seen before reduced to practice by those females. Derketo saw in vision that she should cast herself into the sea and be transformed into a fish, and what she saw she hesitated not to carry into effect. Even the abominations practiced in their worship were all mirrored in the water before they put them into execution. In the age in which Derketo's daughter lived, dikes and roads began to be constructed. She raided down into Egypt itself. Her whole life was one series of movings and hunting expeditions, her adherents belonging to the tribe that had plundered Job in Arabia. The diabolical worship of Dekardo's people became systematized first in Egypt. Here it took such hold that while the witches sat in the temples and in chambers on strange-looking seats before various kinds of mirrors, their visions, communicated while actually seen, were reported by the priests to hundreds of men who engraved them upon the stone walls of caverns. Strange that I should see all those abominable chief instruments of darkness always in unconscious communion with one another. I saw similar actions and things going on in different places among similar instruments of the evil one. 
The only difference among them was that which arose from the diversity of manners and customs among the several nations and the different degrees of depravity to which they had fallen. Some had not as yet sunk so deep in these abominations, and were not so far removed from the truth. Those, for instance, from whom the family of Abraham and the races of Job and the three kings sprang, as also the star-worshippers of Chaldea, and they that had the shining star. When Jesus Christ came upon earth, when the earth was soaked with his blood, that fierce influence of such practices was considerably diminished, and witchcraft lost much of its power. Moses was a seer from his cradle, but he was according to God, and he always practiced what he saw. Turketo, her daughter, and her granddaughter Semiramis lived to be very old, according to the general age of that time. They were tall, powerful, mighty, such as would almost frighten us in our day. They were inconceivably bold, fierce, shameless. They carried out with astonishing assurance whatever the evil one had shown them in vision. They felt their own power. They thought themselves divinities. They were facsimiles of those furious sorcerers on the high mountain that perished in the deluge. It is touching to see how the holy patriarchs, although they had frequent revelations from God, had nevertheless to suffer and to struggle unremittingly in order to keep clear of the abominations that surrounded them. And again, is it, effect, is it affecting to remember in what secret, what painful ways salvation at last came upon earth, while all went well with the demonolatry, while all things were made to subserve its interests? When I saw all this, the immense influence exercised by those goddesses and the high worship they received over all the earth, and on the other side, when I contemplated Mary's little band, with whose symbolical picture in the cloud of Elias, the philosophers of Cyprus sought to couple their lying abominations. When I saw Jesus, the fulfillment of all promises, poor and patient, standing before them, teaching, and afterward going to meet his cross. Ah, that made me inexpressibly sad. But after all, this is the history of the truth, and the light ever shining in the darkness, and the darkness not comprehending it. And so it has been, and so it is still. The same old story, even down to our own day. But the mercy of God is infinite. I have seen that at the time of the deluge, many were, very many were saved from eternal punishment. Fright and anguish converted them to God. They went to purgatory, and Jesus freed them on his descent into the hell. Numbers of trees escaped being uprooted by the waters of the deluge. I saw them thriving again, but most of them were covered, choked up by mud. 9. Semiramis The mother of Semiramis was born in the region of Nineveh. Outwardly demure, in secret she was cruel and dissolute. The father of Semiramis was a native of Syria and, like her mother, sunk in the most detestable idolatry. He was put to death after the child's birth his murder being in some way connected with, or in consequence, of their divinations. Semiramis was born far away in Ascalon, in Palestine, and then taken by pagan priests to some shepherds in a wilderness. She spent much of her time during her childhood alone on a mountain. I saw her mother and the pagan priests turning aside when on their hunting expeditions to visit her. 
I saw two of the devil under various forms playing with her, like John in the desert going around with angels. I saw near her birds of brilliant plumage. They brought her all kinds of curious toys. I do not remember all that went on connected with her, but it was the most horrible idolatry. She was beautiful, full of intelligence and seductive arts, and everything succeeded with her. In obedience to certain divinations, she became the wife of one of the chief shepherds of the king of Babylon, and later on she married the king himself. This king had conquered a nation far to the north, and had dragged a part of them to his own country as slaves. Some time after, when Semiramis reigned alone, many of them were oppressed by her and forced to labor at her extravagant buildings. Semiramis was looked upon as a goddess by her nation. The hunting expeditions carried on by Semiramis's mother were wilder than those which she herself conducted. She, the mother, went about with a little army mounted on camels, striped asses, and horses. Once I saw them in Arabia, toward the Red Sea, on a great hunt, at the time when Job dwelt in the city there. The huntresses were very dexterous, and they sat on horseback like men. They were fully clothed to the knee, below which the limbs were laced with straps. On the feet they wore soles with two high heels, upon which were colored figures. They wore short, closely-fitting jackets, made of fine feathers of the most diverse hues and patterns. Crossed over the arms and breast were straps trimmed with feathers. Shoulders were covered with a cape, likewise of feathers, and set with glittering stones and pearls. On the head they wore a kind of hat of red silk or wool. Over the face fell a veil in two halves, either which could be used as a protection from wind and dust. A short mantle completed their costume. Their hunting weapons consisted of spears, bows, and arrows. At their side hung a shield. Savage animals had multiplied astonishingly. Hunters drove them together from all parts of immense districts and slew them. They also dug pits and covered them as snares. When the beasts fell into them, they were soon dispatched with hatchets and clubs. I saw the mother of Semiramis hunting the animal described by Job under the name of Behemoth, also tigers, lions, etc. I saw no monkeys in those early times. I saw similar hunts upon the water upon which idolatry and numerous abominations were generally practiced. The mother was outwardly not so dissolute as Semiramis, but she possessed a diabolical nature with amazing strength and temerity. What a frightful thing to plunge into the sea in her struggle with that mighty monster. Mounted on a dromedary, she pursued the animal until dromedary and rider plunged into the waves. She was honored as the goddess of the chase and a benefactress to mankind. Semiramis, returning home from Africa after one of her hunting or military expeditions, went to Egypt. This kingdom had been founded by Mes Mizraim, the grandson of Cham, who at his coming had found there already several scattered tribes of degenerate neighboring races. Egypt was peopled by several races, and ruled sometimes by one, sometimes by another. When Semiramis went to Egypt, four cities were in existence. The oldest was Thebes, where a lighter, more slender, and age-all race lived than in the city of Memphis, whose inhabitants were short and thick-set. It lay upon the left bank of the Nile, over which was a long bridge. On the right bank was the place where, in Moses' time, Pharaoh's daughter lived. The darker inhabitants, with woolly hair, were even in those first ages, slaves, and they had never ruled in Egypt. 
They that first went thither and built Thebes came, I think, from Africa, the others from over the Red Sea and from where the Israelites entered. Third city was called Shumei, later Heliopolis. It lies toward the north below Thebes. When Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt with Jesus, I saw extraordinarily large buildings still around this city. Lower down than Memphis, not very far from the sea, lay the city of Sais. I think it is still. Reference to the monster fought by the mother of Semiramis. It was a hippopotamus, older than Memphis. Each of these four cities had its own king. Semiramis was very highly honored in Egypt where, by her intrigues and diabolical arts, she greatly contributed to the spread of idolatry. I saw her in Memphis, where human sacrifices were common, plotting and practicing magic and astrology. I did not at this period see the bull Apis, but I saw idols with tails and a head like the sun. It was Semiramis who here planned the first pyramid. It was built on the eastern bank of the Nile, not far from Memphis. The whole nation had to assist at its construction. When it was completed, I saw Semiramis again journeying thither with about 200 followers. It was for the consecration of the building. Semiramis was honored almost as a divinity. The pyramid happened to be constructed on marshy ground. Consequently, a foundation of stupendous pillars was built for it. It was like an immense broad bridge. The pyramid was raised upon it. One could go under... One could go around under it as if into an immense temple formed of columns. It was divided off into innumerable rooms, dungeons, and spacious halls. The pyramid itself, up to the very summit, also contained numerous apartments, large and small, with openings like windows from which I saw flags of cloth hanging and waving. All around the pyramid were baths and gardens. This building was the real center of Egyptian idolatry, astrology, witchcraft, and abominable impurity. Here children and the aged were offered in sacrifice. Astrologers and necromancers dwelt in the pyramid and there had their diabolical visions. Near the baths was immense machinery for purifying the muddy waters of the Nile. The baths witnessed the most infamous horrors of idol worship. I saw later on Egyptian women practicing the greatest abominations in them. This pyramid did not long exist. It was destroyed. The nation was frightfully superstitious. The pagan priests were in darkness so great and so given to divination that in Heliopolis, even the dreams of the people were collected, recorded, and referred to the stars. Numerous mesmerists arose who, in their diabolical visions, confounded truth with falsehood. According to their visions, idolatry was formulated and even the cycles of time computed. I saw that the idols Isis and Osiris were no other than Joseph and Azanith, whose coming into Egypt the astrologers foresaw in their demoniacal visions. They consequently incorporated them into their religion. When they did come, they were honored as divinities. I saw that Azanith wept over such impiety and wrote against it. The scholars of the present day who write about Egypt are in gross error. They accept so many things concerning the Egyptians as history, science, and learning, which nevertheless have no other foundation than astrology and false visions. That any nation could remain as stupid and beastly as the Egyptians is a proof of it. 
but these savants reject such demoniacal inspirations and practices as impossible. They esteem the Egyptians more ancient than they really are, because in those early times they appear to have possessed such knowledge of abstruse and hidden things. But I saw that, even at the coming of Semiramis to Memphis, these people, in their pride, had designedly confused their calendar. Their ambition was to take precedence of all other nations in point of time. With this end in view, they drew up a number of complicated calendars and royal genealogical tables. By this and frequent changes in their computations, order and true chronology were lost. That this confusion might be firmly established, they perpetuated every error by inscriptions and the erection of great buildings. For a long time they reckoned the ages of father and son, as if the date of the former's demise were that of the latter's birth. The kings, who waged constant war with the priests on the subject of chronology, inserted among their forefathers the names of persons that never existed. Thus, the four kings of the same name, who reigned simultaneously in Thebes, Heliopolis, Memphis, and Sais, were in accordance with this design, reckoned one after the other. I saw, too, that once they reckoned 970 days to a year, and again, years were computed as months. I saw a pagan priest drawing up a chronological table, in which for every 500 years, 1100 were set down. I saw these false computations of the pagan priests at the same time that I beheld Jesus teaching on the Sabbath at Aruma. Jesus, speaking before the Pharisees of the call of Abraham and his sojourn in Egypt, exposed the errors of the Egyptian calendar. He told them that the world had now existed 4,028 years. When I heard Jesus say this, he was himself 31 years old. I saw in those times also the people who honored Seth as a god. They made distant and perilous journeys into Arabia, where they supposed his grave to be. It seems to me that the descendants of this people are still in existence, that the Turks suffer them to pass freely through their territory on their pilgrimage to that grave.